Welcome to a Millennial Preacher Podcast, where we have real conversations about church and faith. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Millennial Preacher Podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to have a fun topic. We're going to talk about healthy conflict. That's right. We're talking about healthy conflict. And I want to read a passage of Scripture, and this is the passage in Matthew 18 that is the most common in talking about conflict resolution within the church and just overall in general. And Jesus says this in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, there I am among them. Conflict. If we handle conflict biblically, as the church as a whole across our country and in our lives, one, God will be glorified and the gospel will move forward. And if I'm honest with you, I hate conflict. Some people, you know, they tolerate conflict. They don't mind conflict. And there's some people like me, I just avoid, maybe avoids, but I just do not enjoy it. Uh, it, it makes my anxiety spike. I just do not like conflict at all. I will enter in the conflict if I'm forced to, if it's something that I really believe in and I just have to do it. But other than that, if, if there's a conflict that I can avoid, for the most part, I will avoid it. I just, I hate conflict. My anxiety spikes, my heart starts beating faster. Um, and in reflection, the church as a whole, not just my church, but the church, should handle conflict better than anywhere. But that has not been the case. If we want to handle conflict properly, it starts right here within us. Uh, the, the change begins with, with me. And within conflict, uh, we also need to follow, yes, Matthew 18, but also James chapter 1 and Proverbs 15. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Okay, let me repeat that. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So when we enter into conflict, we don't want to go in with guns blazing when we're all passionately infuriated or extremely angry. We need to go into the situation being ready to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. How often when we enter into conflict, if we want to correct a conflict or resolve a conflict, we go in with guns blazing when we're extremely angry. And James says, bad idea. No matter what, whether someone offended you or not, take a step back, take a breather, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. In Proverbs 15, verse 1, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So again, going into conflict, knowing that sometimes when we say something, we want to make the conflict worse. We want to, quote, win the argument or win the conflict by just hammering someone and feeling so good about ourselves. But again, Scripture says, soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. So when we go in to settle a conflict or to resolve a conflict, one going in quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to angry, slow to be angry, and also knowing going in with a soft answer, um, not getting walked upon, but knowing that when you go in again with guns blazing, when you're furious already, harsh words stirs up anger, and it makes the conflict worse. Knowing those things, let's talk through this. Matthew 18, step one, someone does something to offend you. There are some things that you can just let go over your head. You don't need to bring it up, but if something really offends you and there's a conflict that you know needs to be resolved, step one is you go one-on-one, one-on-one. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. And let's be honest, I believe 90% of conflict We'll stop right here in step one. 90% of conflict will will stop when you just bring it up with the person one-on-one. 90% of the time, the conflict will be dealt with. If it is met with humility on both sides, and most of the time it is, there's apologies, there's forgiveness, and it is a beautiful thing. When you bring your conflict to someone, someone does something to offend you, you bring it up to them, you go one-on-one, and you you don't come in angry, you don't come in with guns blazing, you come in and say, hey, listen, I just want you to know um, something you said to me a, a while ago or something you did, it really it hurt my feelings, it offended me, and I was just... I just want to let you know, and and I want to resolve this conflict. I want to maintain our relationship. And most of the time, when you say that, it's brought up by that person, and they say something like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't. I have no idea." And there's apologies. And again, it's 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 a beautiful thing. And 90% of conflict will be resolved right there when you bring it up with someone one on one. And as believers, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are called to first address conflict person to person, not gossip, not take it behind the back of someone else person to person, privately. This is the best way if you can. Um, I say if you can because if there's a conflict, don't don't be legalistic about this verse. And if you're walking through a back alleyway and someone tries to stab you with a knife, don't go back one-on-one with that person trying to resolve the conflict, all right? That's a bad idea. Don't take this verse out of context and don't be legalistic about it. If you can, in most circumstances, take the conflict that you have with someone one-on-one, resolve the conflict right there, and taking it to the person one-on-one. It kills gossip, and nobody likes gossip, and the church is one of the worst places for gossip. Nobody wants it. Nobody likes it. It doesn't help anything ever. Taking the conflict to person, to person, one-on-one, kills gossip, and it protects the church from division, and everybody wants that, Nobody wants the church to be divided unless you're Satan, and I hope you're not Satan. So take it to the person one-on-one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Paul says, let there be no divisions in the church. If you have conflict, deal with it. 
let you uh, live in harmony with each other, be of one mind, everyone united uh, in thought and purpose, moving forward. What is the goal? Reach people with the message of the gospel. Don't let earthly conflict get in the way. Don't let division come into the church. Don't let this conflict do that. It hinders the gospel, and that's not good. That's not what anybody who's a follower of Jesus wants, I hope. And if we don't deal with conflict in a healthy manner, if it turns into gossip or we become bitter, etc., it can easily cause division within the church. And if you've seen, I've seen it before, of just small conflicts blow out of proportion. It could be resolved easily, but it can even turn into like a church split type atmosphere where, where people leave and it's like Captain America Civil War. You got one crowd over here, one crowd over there. And this is not healthy for the gospel. It's not healthy for, for the church. So Paul says, no, don't, don't do it. So if you don't deal with conflict, it can easily cause division in the church. So if, if you um, someone does something to event, offend you, there's a conflict. You want to resolve it. In first step one, again, you go one-on-one, try to kill gossip, and again, 90% of conflict will be resolved right there. But if that fails, if you bring it up to a person, one-on-one, doesn't work, they say, um, get the heck out of here, uh, I didn't do anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. Okay, if that fails, uh, Jesus gives us step two. Step two is you bring one or two people with you. In verse 16, Jesus says, If you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Now, again, you take one or two with you to go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. This is not a gang that will back you up. It's not like someone does something to offend you. You go up to them and say, I want to handle this conflict biblically, and you bring it up to them, and they say, get the heck out of here, I don't want to listen to you, and then you then you say to yourself, all right, fine, I'm going to follow scripture, I'm going to go, go get some of my buddies, and we're going to go back, and we're going to like, you know, West Side Story, we're all going to snap towards them, you say, let's go get them, it's over, let's get them, that's not what this is. <laughs> Don't just don't just bring all your buddies and, and think you're going to go and like pound the guy's face in the concrete. No, 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 no. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, bring much wiser people than you. People maybe even outside of the conflict altogether so they can address it without emotions. So not just bringing your buddies, not your best friends who you know are going to be on your side. Maybe bring someone who's completely outside of the of the of the elements. Someone that you believe you trust and you know, but is is not gonna just solely back you up and try to you know make it uh, so you're right and the other person is wrong, but just someone who wants to see the uh, the conflict handled in a biblical and a humble and a loving way. So don't just bring two or three of your best friends. Bring two or three people that you know and trust, followers of Jesus that you know will help you settle the conflict. Okay, what if that doesn't work? So you bring it one-on-one. Step one, One one-on-one, doesn't work. Now you bring two or three people that are much wiser, smarter than you, doesn't work. Then Jesus says, if that still doesn't work, take your conflict to the local church. And if the person refuses to listen, Jesus says, take your case to the church. This would be the elders, the leaders to settle the conflict. This wouldn't be like... uh, um, you stand in front of the whole church body and say your scenario and everyone like takes a, a vote. That's bizarre and that's not what it means. Bring it to the elders, the leaders of the of the church to settle the conflict. And in this instance, only in extreme circumstances will a follower of Jesus refuse to settle the conflict. 
But it happens. Again, I believe within step one, you bring the conflict to person one-on-one. 90% of conflict, boom, it's over right there. There is a small percentage that will go to the end. You bring the conflict to the elders of the church. Try to settle the conflict. And if that fails, Jesus says, finally, if it fails, you release them from the community and you treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, this is what the verse says. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, if you read into that, you can think, well, what is this talking about? So someone offends you, you bring them through the whole Matthew 18, you follow step one, step two, step three, you bring them before the church and they still don't listen. And then you basically like kick them out. Is that what it means? You throw them to the curb. You treat them like a, like a pagan or a tax collector and you just kind of excommunicate them. No, this is not what that means. And if you think about it, Jesus treats pagans and tax collectors very, very well because he wants them to know the gospel. So this simply means when it says, if, if they won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. It simply means you remove the conflict that is having a negative influence within the church. But this means now you pray for them and you love them. Maybe it means they step away from the church for a while. Maybe you try to handle it and you say, hey, we're not kicking you out. We would still love to have you, but maybe leadership is removed. I don't know the, the complete scenario, but you have to trust in God. You have to follow. Um, uh, you have to pray. You have to listen to God. But instances when you excommunicate someone, I think there's very, 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 very small percentage when you say you're not welcome here. Um, rarely, if ever, should that happen within the church. Oftentimes, yeah, leadership can be taken away or positions of, uh, yeah, positions of leadership and whatnot, but excommunication, typically for the church, no, no bueno. Very small percentage, uh, of times, does it need to happen? Potentially, yes, but 99% of the time, no, that does not need to happen. Again, you treat that person as pagan or tax collector, corrupt tax collector. Jesus treats them very well. You pray for them. You love them. You want them to know Jesus. You don't throw them to the street and forget about them. You are not, it does not give you permission to be rude to them. You are not mean to them. You are loving and compassionate and forgiving. But again, at the same time, removing the negative influence from the community. An example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, there's a conflict within the church. Paul says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. So obviously, they probably went through some try to conflict resolution, and Paul says, okay, now's the time. He's real smart. He probably knows the situation well. He says, remove this man from your fellowship. Okay, so... They remove the conflict, the negative influence within the church. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul says this, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all of the trouble and hurt on all of you, he hurt, uh, trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you, as I did, to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. 
And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil scheme. So this man that in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, remove him from your community. Uh, most commentaries, theologians believe in First, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is referring to this man that they uh, said you need to move on from this church because you are living in this sin. And then he repents from his sin. And then Paul says, forgive this man. Don't let Satan outsmart us. Don't let there be division within the church, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Let there always be forgiveness. So even if there has to be church discipline, even if you have to follow Matthew 18, and there's a time when you might have to say, hey, your leadership is gone, or we have to do this, or we'd still love to have you, or you need to take a break, maybe uh, attend a different church for a little while so our people can heal, etc. whatever you think God is telling you what you need to do, there always will come a time when you need to forgive and restore uh, the person potentially back into the community if it is met with repentance. That's the most important piece. If it is met with repentance. Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. If we handle conflict biblically and in a healthy way, God's glory will be shown through it. There will be redemption and forgiveness, and it is a beautiful thing. And the gospel will continue to move, and that's what everyone wants, the gospel to move forward. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want other people to know about the gospel and believe in the gospel. I hope we're all on the same page on there. And the other thing is, conflict is just hard, always. Conflict is hard. There's nothing at times you can do to make conflict easier. You can do it the most strategic way. Um, all of my friends and mentors who are uh, business owners or oversee a lot of people, they say, anytime you have to fire someone, it's never, it's never easy. You always hear the story. There's never a good time. There's always a birthday or an anniversary or vacation or whatnot. But if it's not working out, you just have to do it. You just have to do it because conflict is hard. It's always hard. But check this out. This is what I want to encourage you with in uh, Matthew 18, verse 18 through 20. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, mostly, I hear this verse correlated to small group gatherings which is true. People say, well, as long as two or three of us are here, there Jesus is among us, which is totally true, and it's awesome. But what is beautiful is that in this context, when Jesus says this verse, for where two or three of you gather as my followers, I am there among you. In this context, Jesus is speaking about conflict. Jesus is saying, where two or three of you gather and make a difficult decision, Within that conflict, Jesus says, I am with you. In fact, I am here among you. And in, in conflict, as I said at the beginning, my anxiety skyrockets. Skyrockets. With, with conflict, my, my heart starts beating. My, I, I, start, I start sweating. My anxiety is going. I, I, can, I, can, I can't speak like normal. Um, and, I, uh, and I have to pause. 
And if I know I'm going to have a difficult conversation, if I know there's going to be some conflict that's going to make someone upset, I pause, I try to pray beforehand, I take some deep breaths, and I remember the words that Jesus says, Stephen, I am here among you. And how many of you who are listening right now are conflict avoiders? Be honest. Say to yourself, I'm a conflict avoider. Just say it out loud. Get it out there. Just admit it. Some of you enjoy conflict and you guys are weirdos, but uh, conflict avoiders. And how many of us think that it is the most loving thing to do to not bring up conflict? We think it's the most loving thing to do to not bring up conflict. And here's a question. Why do we avoid conflict? Why do we avoid? Why do you avoid conflict? What are you afraid of? Abandonment? Anger? Jesus, uh, sorry, in Deuteronomy 31.6, God says, I will never abandon you. The psalmist in Psalm 27 verse 10 says, even if my father and my mother will abandon me, God will never abandon me. So the question is, why are we afraid of conflict? Maybe it ties back into your own story. Maybe it ties back into your own abandonment or conflict you experienced as a kid, and that's why anxiety spikes, because it reminds you of your childhood. I'm not, I don't know. I'm just asking questions. But loving someone sometimes means not avoiding conflict, but being honest. Loving someone sometimes means you are brutally honest with them. Not that you're being mean, but you're being honest because you love them and you want the best for them. And at times, confrontation and conflict can be love. And I'm terrible at any type of confrontation or or conflict. It's my least favorite thing to do. Again, you know, my anxiety skyrockets, it's awful. But sometimes that is the most loving thing that you can do for someone. Because what if someone you care about is acting like a jackweed? Is it loving to allow them to keep acting that way? Absolutely not. Or is it the most loving thing to bring it up and say, hey, uh, you know, it's not okay you're acting this way, you know? An example, I don't know if you've seen the the show My 600-Pound Life. It's a, it's a show on TLC. A couple months ago, my wife had our fourth child. And, you know, when you're in the hospital, you're always flipping through the the TV channels and there's nothing else to do in the hospital except watch the terrible tiny TVs with the terrible cable. But we came, I came across a show on TLC once um, and it was called My 600 Pound Life. I don't have cable. I just have Netflix at home. And so I always like flip through the channels when we have children because that's the only time I ever watch actual cable TV. And there's a show, My 600 Pound Life. And it's, you know, the story is a, a person uh, who's extremely overweight and it's a story of them losing weight or their journey and whatnot. And there's a woman in there who's, you know, six or 700 pounds. She wanted to lose weight and whatnot. Yet in this, there's always someone who is, uh, who's feeding them, right? At times, the people who are, they weigh so much, honestly, they can't do anything. They can't get out of their chair. And someone enables them. Someone, uh, in this case, in this episode I saw, the mom brought her like 10 meals a day, full meals when she was sitting there. Mom baked her, uh, made her food and brought it to the living room. Um, and there's someone always enabling, someone who buys the McDonald's and, and terrible food for them. And when the mom was asked, why do you do this? She said, oh, it's because I, I don't like it when she's mad at me. And basically, she's avoiding the conflict. I don't want to bring it up because it makes her upset. Is that loving to them? Maybe to the mom it is. But the reality is that is not loving them at all. And in fact, it is 
It's killing them. The most loving thing to do would be to stop feeding them food that's bad for them and give them healthy food and maybe start working out with them and help them get back to a healthy lifestyle because love is not always get along like our culture would like to think. You can disagree with someone and love someone and we are so terrible at that in the United States of America. Jesus, in confronting the Pharisees, Uh, isn't this the most loving thing Jesus could do for them? There's a passage in scripture. I'm going to read it for you. In Matthew 23, verse 29 through 36, Jesus is confronting these Pharisees and we read it and we're like, oh my gosh, Jesus would would act like this? Like this this is insane. But when Jesus confronts the Pharisees, this is the most loving thing I believe Jesus could do for them. And really, it's the compassion of Jesus because Jesus wants them to understand and wants them to believe. So he says in Matthew 23 to the Pharisees who are the religious guys who think they know everything. They're super smart. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. You are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. He said, Jesus says, you snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Man, that's good stuff. If you guys start going around and saying, you bunch of snakes and sons of vipers, and someone says, hey, that's not nice, you say, hey, it's, it's in the Bible, Jesus says it. But here's the deal. That, the point is this. Jesus never avoids conflict, but is always bold and at times blunt in confrontation because Jesus cares more about the gospel and the glory of God than he does getting along with everyone. He could care less if the Pharisees like him. He wants the Pharisees to know him for who he is. And we read passages in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It does not. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Yet we read this. This is what love is. And Jesus says, brood of snakes, you son of vipers. Yet God is a God of love. Jesus is love himself, as it says in 1 John 4, 8. So how can this be love? Listen, with your kids, if you have kids or grandkids or even pets, do, do you do what they need and you do not what they want, right? You do what they need, not what they want. And isn't that true love for them? Is it loving to give my kids, who are now five, almost four, almost two and two months old. Is it loving to give my kids Cocoa Puffs? It starts for the smallest one because you can't, you, you know what I'm talking about. But is it loving to give my kids Cocoa Puffs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day? Negative. That would not be loving to them at all. Uh, even though that's what they would want. Oh, dad, I want Cocoa Puffs. Granted, you know, after like two days of pure Cocoa Puffs, it'd be like, I'm so sick of, you, you know what I mean? You, you see the illustration though. Your kids say, I want candy every day. If you give them candy every day for every meal, and they get cavities and they, they're not healthy, that's not loving to them at all. Loving uh, your kids is attempting to, to get them to eat vegetables because that is, or, or, you know, healthy food for them that's not things that are awful and will probably give us all cancer. That is not what we want and is not love. And you've seen parents who even avoid conflict with their children. 
oh, honey, whatever you want, it's fine, get whatever. They scream, they cry, the parent gets it for them, no discipline, no conflict, and they turn out to be wonderful children, don't they? Absolutely not. There are always kids in the, I mean, I, yeah, all kids have emotional breakdowns, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, love means you do what is best for them, not what they want even if it means conflict. I do not have teenagers yet, but I will. And I know that that will happen. That love is what, uh, love means you do what is best for them, not what they want, even if it means conflict. Just like raising your children, again, you don't do what they want, you do what's best for them, even if they don't like it. And conflict comes from that. So when you're in conflict, before the conflict, you can't see the end result. Again, let me say this. When you are in conflict or before you get into conflict, you cannot yet see the end result. And sometimes that is why you don't want to bring something up. You want to avoid the conflict because you can't see the end result. All you can see is that the conversation is going to be very difficult. Someone's going to be very upset with you and there's going to be conflict. And I want to encourage you and let you know that avoiding conflict most of the time, you know, sometimes again, there's the pastor says, if you can let it go, let it go. But avoiding conflict does not make it better. Avoiding conflict makes the conflict worse. And I have ruined friendships in my life over conflict that I avoided. I didn't bring something up. And then uh, I was honest because I, I was nervous to bring up the conflict. And then I became bitter in my own heart. And then it just ruined the relationship. And then life moves on with the unresolved conflict. And there's one time I had a conflict and I wanted to avoid it so badly, but I just say, no, I need to, I need to bring this up. I need to voice my, this, what this person said that really hurt my feelings. And I brought it up with this person. And then I had to get all the, the, the gusto and all the energy. I'm like, I'm going to bring it up. And I sat down and I, and I said, Hey, just so you know, like you said this a couple weeks ago and it really hurt my feelings. And I didn't appreciate that. And it was met with, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like let's and the conflict was resolved and the relationship was remained. Um, unharmed, and it probably strengthened the relationship. So, when conflict goes horribly wrong, and it is not dealt with in a biblical and a healthy manner, and we've all seen this happen, division comes within the church, division comes within your relationships, there's church splits, church declines, maybe you lose friends. This is what can happen when you deal with conflict in an unhealthy manner. It's not good for the gospel. It's not good for you. It's not good for your relationships with your friends and your family. And if our mission, our mission at my church where I serve is that we want to help people to connect to God. And how can we do that if we are in division with one another? Articles that I've read and studies show that when people, visitors come to your church for the first time, they can sense if there are people in there who are angry, upset. They can sense the conflict, and it's true. If there's division within the church, if there's conflict and it's not dealt with, in a um, biblical manner, it will hinder the gospel, and nobody wants that. So when conflict happens, again, go one-on-one. First, 90% of conflict, bam, done right there. Speak the truth in love. Don't avoid conflict. Do it humbly. Do it biblically for God's glory, knowing that healthy conflict starts with me. in a biblical and a loving way. 
So I encourage you take the next couple of minutes as you're driving, as you're finishing up your drive, and really think if there's a conflict that you could have avoided um, or a conflict that you could have handled better in your life. And maybe there's a conflict that you've been avoiding for a long time, and I want to encourage you, bring it up with that person and deal with it in a healthy and a loving manner. Love you all. Praying for you all. Blessings.